This is Project Inspire, a Haslam interview series created and produced by students in the Haslam College of Business at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and sponsored by Haslam's Office of Student Engagement. In this episode, we are joined by Molly Adams. Ms. Adams is the Executive Vice President, Chief Strategic Retail Officer at Fanatics, an American manufacturer and online retailer of licensed sports merchandise. Since graduating from UT, Ms. Adams has become a recognized leader in retail, serving companies such as Anchor Blue Retail Group and the Walt Disney Company. Through her authentic, culture-driven leadership, Ms. Adams continues to drive strategic innovation in the merchandising, global brand and product development, and retail spaces. Welcome to episode 18 of Project Inspire. I'm Emily, and today I'm joined by Molly Adams. Molly, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Excited for this conversation. So if you're ready to get started, we can just jump into some questions. Sure, let's do it. Awesome. So I think it's fitting to start off by discussing your time at the university. You, while you were at UT um, for your undergraduate studies, you majored in marketing, minored in accounting. So what drew you to those fields and in what ways has your degree from UT prepared you for your career? Oh, in so many ways. The first question I'll ask you, can I come back? Is <laughs> it too can, late for sure, me to sure. redo? Um, yeah, I mean, I, when I came here, I really had no plan other than everybody in my family came to UT and that's what you did and that's what I'd always wanted to do so I was just happy to be here but I didn't really have a solid game plan on what my and by the way I still don't have a solid game plan so that's sort of a theme for our conversation but um, accounting in particular was a very big field for women in the 80s which is when I was here and there were not a lot of women in accounting then it was it was very much an up-and-coming thing that and computer science which was kind of out of the question for me. I just didn't, don't have that brain. <laughs> so um, I, I thought that accounting made sense. I knew I wanted some kind of business, um, but didn't really know much about it. So I got going on it. You know, accounting is one of those things you either get it and you love it or you don't. And I actually really did get it and I was good at it. And then I thought one day, I don't really want to do this all day long. Mm. Um, by then I had had some other core business classes and had sort of gotten interested in the marketing angle. So I think it worked out because I had a little bit of a left brain, right brain um, thing going with the creative pieces that come in marketing, which really were more appealing to me. But I love the business background and the solid foundation that the accounting gave me, which now as a business owner and P&L responsibility, obviously, is really helpful. Um, so I think two things to the second part of your question about how it prepared me. Um, having a, a business background and understanding how businesses work and all the um, things that you need to know about business as a foundation is obviously super useful in every role I've ever had, um, even if it's a more creative role because I've had some that were more creative and some that were more um, business ownership, but it always serves you well to have that foundation. And I think the other thing that I really put a lot of value on is just the relationships, learning how to work in groups, mm -hmm. communication, teamwork, goal setting, deadlines, managing projects and timelines and all that sort of thing that you, you never get away from in business at all. So those things I thought were really particularly useful. Definitely. And I think that Haslam encourages collaboration well in a lot of their classes. Yeah. And they also have, they encourage collaterals and concentrations now in addition to your major studies. So definitely agree, a well-rounded education. Yeah. So as a strong woman in leadership yourself, 
what advice would you give to current female students that have their sights set on leading in their future careers? What can they be doing now to help them prepare for future success? That's a big question, Emily. Um, listen, I, I think it's only a little different for the women than the men because I think for everybody, leadership is different from knowledge. Mm -hmm. Leadership is about people and communicating and rallying people together around a common goal and a common vision and giving them a path to get there and investing in people and building teams and all that sort of thing. So I think for me, the most important thing I'd say about leadership, especially for women, but really for anyone, mm -hmm. is to be authentic and true to who you are and play on your own strengths and build around you. Because I think there's a sense that there's a, um, a lot of people have an idea of what a leader looks like or what characteristics a leader should have. And you could read a thousand books and Google a thousand mm -hmm. articles about top characteristics of leadership. And they're mm -hmm. mostly true, but they're only true if they're authentic and real to you. So I think there's a lot about knowing what your strengths are. Self-awareness is a huge thing for me. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And I know how to get people around me who like the things I don't like. And I know how to really get in my power alley when I need to on the things where I can make the biggest difference. So I think a lot of it's kind of having a really good understanding of what you love and what you bring and then surrounding yourself and building a team around the things that um, sort of round you out. I but don't it. try to be something that you're not. That's the most important thing or you'll struggle your whole career. Yeah, I love that. That's great advice. So kind of transitioning into questions focused on your career. You've spent long tenures with each of your companies, such as the Anchor Blue Retail Group, the Walt Disney Company, and now you're at Fanatics. So how have you navigated deciding when it's the, time, the right time to transition roles within a company or to maybe grow at another company? Yeah, so I told you this would be a theme. I really did not have a plan. I didn't have a plan when I got to college. I didn't have a plan when I got out of college. Again, this was a long time ago. A lot of people's college plans as women were to get out and get married and have children, which I did, and it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life is to get married and have children, but it wasn't my career goal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, that initially I thought not having a solid plan was frustrating and um, scary. I didn't really know yeah. what I was going to do or what I should do. And early in my career, you're not as confident about what decisions you're making. Am I taking this the right job? Am I accepting? The, am I going for the right promotion? All that sort of thing. But it didn't take me too long to realize that you don't really need to know what's next. The thing I think is important, make a good decision. Do the very best you can at whatever you're doing. Meet people. Carry those relationships with you wherever you go and learn everything you can possibly learn. And when the next door opens, be open-minded. And I, I feel like you know when it's the right thing, that the opportunity feels like it's really interesting, it seems like a natural transition, you kind of know. I, um, there have been a few times where I consciously made a change, but they were mostly about life changes. I had new babies or we moved or something like that. But mm -hmm. in terms of just natural career progression, I think a lot of times it's, it's just like I said, keep doing the very best you can, learn as much as you can, meet as many people as you can, just be a sponge and soak up everything around you. And then when the next opportunity opens, be really, really open to the possibilities. Definitely. That's a great answer. So, and having led in a variety of settings, is there any one role or maybe set of responsibilities that stand out to you as a defining moment in your career? Um, yeah, I mean, one moment, maybe not. I worked at Disney for 15 years in two different 
I told you this, I refer to them as tours of duty, but lovingly. Um, so I worked there five years. Then I did go do something else for a number of years and had a couple of babies, and then I came back. And when I came back, I came back to a place in Disney that needed a lot of help. It was in a transition time, and I kind of came into a, a business unit that was struggling a little bit. Um, so it was challenging in terms of you don't you don't think that anything inside Disney is not really as um, running as beautifully as it should, but I had sort of a troubled spot, and it became a success story, so that was all wonderful in terms of a business thing. But the, the thing that really I think the most about is just Disney in general. The decision that I made initially to go there was just because it seemed like a great opportunity. When I went back, I knew what I was going to. I really believed in the magic. I really respected the leadership and the people there who I could learn from. And so there were a lot of times that um, even today I talk mostly about my Disney experience and about someone that I learned from there or something that happened there. And so that whole experience, the work experience, the leaders I worked for and with there, the magic of the Disney brand. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's become a sort of a signature and a strength of mine is the people part. So I'm a relationship leader for sure. I, I understand people, which means I understand our consumers. I understand my colleagues and my team. And a lot of that came from Disney and from that real um, emotional engagement that people have with mm -hmm. Disney and they love yeah. Disney and they love their favorite characters and their favorite stories and all that. And um, a lot of that applies to business and bigger ways than just that. So so probably the the softer skills that I learned at Disney, believing in the magic and the power of the people and even Walt Disney himself, you know, if you can dream it, you can do it. Absolutely. That's a great answer. It sounds like a, it was a really pivotal time in your career. So I am curious to know, can you tell me about a time maybe you took a major risk during your career and what did you take away from that experience? Um, you know, listen, business is a risk every day and there are things that happen and there are all kinds of little things that you're never you're never sure but you have to make a decision you have to move forward so this is kind of one of my leadership lessons that I'll share with you um, I, I think it's important to be decisive and to make the best decision you can with the information that you have and if you gain new information or something changes then you make a new decision but waiting to be perfect and to have all the information and everything to be complete is not a successful path to leadership. So I think in some ways I became comfortable with taking small risk all the time. I don't know that there's anything that I've done that's like so risky it was life-threatening or going to, you know, be um, life or death for a person or a business. But they're all day, every day, they're decisions you make that change the course of what's going to happen. And I think knowing that you've been thoughtful and thorough with the information you have and then being comfortable making a decision and moving forward, even if the information is not complete, you're still confident enough that you're moving forward and not getting sort of stuck, Definitely. which people tend to do. Yeah, that's great advice. So kind of, I kind of want to shift into a couple questions about the industries you've spent your career in. What really drew you to the entertainment, specialty, and department store retail industries? Um, again, you know, some of it is timing and sort of what was happening in the business world and the broader economic situation at the time that I was newly out of school. Um, but a lot of it is back to the art and science of 
business. I love the business piece, but I also love the people. I love the brand. I love the experience. Mm -hmm. And so those industries retail in all of those capacities. Back then, department stores were kind of a bigger deal than they are now, but specialty retail, entertainment retail, sort of um, engaging emotionally with the consumers and understanding why they do what they do. And I'm a huge sort of study of people and human behavior and what makes them do what they do and why are they, what will they do again if I want them to do it again. And um, so I think the, that sort of nature that it's very much um, consumer experience driven and the entertainment piece is obviously um, sort of, it combines full on experience, the entertainment aspect with a business transaction, which was interesting and sort of suits those two sides of my brain. Um, Listen, the other part about it, and it's not comfortable for everybody, but I like the volatility. I like the energy around it not being the same all the time and the seasonality and the unpredictable, and you don't know what day it's going to snow, and you don't know what day something's going to happen that's going to trigger a lot of interest in a topic or you know, shopping or not shopping or whatever. Um, the industry itself has changed so much in the 25 plus years that I've been in it. You know, when I started, we didn't have online shopping. Now, obviously, that's right. the biggest growing segment of our business, and we don't even really distinguish between online shopping and in-person shopping. We just shop at our convenience, and if it's convenient to order it, we do, and if it's convenient to go to the store and get it, we do, and we're very interchangeable. But back then, there was no online shopping, and then when online came on, it was a really interesting and new time and something that, you know, like anything, a lot of learning and a lot of growing pains and yeah. before it became widely accepted and um, as comfortable for people as it is now. So there's constant evolution. You know, we were not digital then. We didn't have our wallets on our phone. Like I could just go on and on and make myself sound like a dinosaur. But but there are the evolution in the business that's partially tied to world changes and macro factors and then just the volatility of retail in general makes a lot of people nervous and I think it's super fun. Yes, yeah, so with that excitement and that volatility that you've been talking about, how has the growth in maybe the popularity of online marketplaces, as you were saying, impacted those challenges and opportunities? Yeah, listen, I mean, we're every day facing things that no one's ever done before. And so there's no, there's no playbook. There's nothing that says this is how you do that. Today, I work at Fanatics, which is rapidly growing and doing things that no company's ever done before. There's no game plan. Yeah. So everything you're doing is completely Same. new. And yeah. it's challenging. But again, it comes back to drawing on the experience you have, the education that you have, and using all those tools to put together something that gives you a path forward and helps you make a good decision. And then you take that step, and then you evaluate the next step. And I've, you know, uh, you've probably heard me say this. I know a number of people have. But there are a lot of things that I look back on, and people ask me, well, if I had done this differently or if I could change that. and I think one of the one of the big leadership lessons also and sort of life lessons, I say this to my children who are college age, you can't just change one thing because each thing that you do, everything that led up to it and everything that comes after, it's all connected. You can't just extract that one thing and say, well, if that had happened, because all these other things happened around it and because of it. And so I just try to think about my path personally and professionally as a journey. And it's a progression. And if I have clarity about where I am and what I'm doing today and what I need to do more of, less of, better, you know, that sort of thing, and where I'm going, the path to get there kind of unfolds. And it doesn't have to be completely clear. So I, I'm very conscious of not getting locked into 
should have, would have, could have, ifs, ands, and just kind of assessing where we are, what's the best path forward, where am I going, and how can I take this team with me and get there. And I think in a world, listen, the whole world is this way. Retail is more volatile than most, um, but the whole world. I mean, in fanatics, we know what day the game is, but we don't know who's going to win. We don't know who's going to get hurt. We don't know who's going to get traded. We don't know a lot of things. We don't know who's going to be a guy you never heard of who suddenly hits the home run that wins the World Series and everybody's suddenly heard of him. You know, a lot of things happen that just change the course of business completely. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think you always tell people you have to have kind of nerves of steel to be in this business, but I think it's it's definitely a business for people who are curious and who are high energy and who kind of thrive on that pace of unpredictable. I love that. And I love that you definitely can appreciate every step of a journey. It's equally important to you um, no matter where you're at. So, yeah, it, it is, I, I do think that. And I think it's common for people, especially in your age group, to think that they have to have a fully baked plan and I have to yeah. know exactly. And the first job I take is the most important decision I'm ever going to make in my life. And mm-hmm. Dean Mangum may not want me to say this to you, but I don't agree with that. You just, everything you do, you make a good decision, you do the best you can, and then you make the next decision when it presents itself to you. And I think it keeps you sane and it keeps you present. One of the big things I try to do is be present. As a working mom, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting assignment, your whole career, because you've got a full-time job as a mom and a full-time job leading a team and running a business and all that. And, um, you know, the work-life balance is a question that I get asked all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really... I don't really have a separate work life and personal life. I just have one life, and all these pieces are part of it. And so sometimes i got to lean a little more mom, and sometimes i got to lean a little more work. Um, but all these things fit together in a way that I feel really fulfilled and satisfied and grateful that I have the opportunity to do all of it. But um, it gives you a lot of perspective if you're not thinking that everything's going to be perfect all the time. I, I and really, really famous for saying we're not striving for perfection, we're striving for excellence. Because perfection is a goal you're not going to attain. Excellence is possible. Every day you can get up and be great. And every day you're not going to be perfect. And so knowing the difference between those I think is is helpful. I like that. I love that. It's making it achievable but still Right, right. But you really want to do, I mean, every day... I want to be the best I can possibly be. I want to be the best mom. I want to be the best friend. I want to be the best employee. I want to be the best neighbor. I'm not always the best, but I come out of bed every day wanting to be. So I think it's important to have a plan, a general plan, but know that the journey and the unfolding of it is all part of it. And if you can enjoy every step of the way, I've said a lot of times that the one of the very few things that's good about being older is perspective <laughs> and, you know, knowing that each thing is not really, um, it's not really the worst thing that's ever going to happen. It's not really the best thing that's going to ever happen. It's just one of the many things that's going to happen. And so the more you can weave these things together and, ex- and sort of enjoy the journey and you do have your eye on a goal and you have your eye on a target, but, um, you know, every day you're trying to be the best you can be and, in all aspects of your life, and it feels a lot more satisfying than thinking that you just have this one big lofty goal that's out there somewhere, and until I achieve that, I haven't felt, you know, fulfilled. I feel fulfilled every day because every day I do something that makes a difference to someone, and that feels good to me. Right. I think that's really insightful, and I think that'll be especially 
useful to our student listeners that maybe feel like they do need to have their life planned out now. So Yeah, my number one message would be just take the pressure off. Hmm. Do the very best you can. Lean in when you need to. Give yourself a break when you need to. But um, I, I do think that your generation in particular, and again, I have two daughters in your age range, that the, there's a lot of pressure to feel like you have to make all the right decisions and you have to know exactly what you're going to do, and you just really don't. Just make a good first step and then go from there. And, and you know, if you're smart and observant and open-minded and really looking at the world around you, you'll know when an opportunity has presented itself that you should step into. Absolutely. I think it's great advice. So I'd like to wrap up with a few questions about your leadership experiences, and then we'll end on the four Haslam series questions. Okay. All right. So how would you describe your leadership style? What makes your leadership style unique compared to others? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's unique, but um, and I've mentioned some of these things along the way in our conversation, but I think, first of all, I'm a relationship leader, for sure. I know people, it's important to me to know people and to understand what matters to them. So I have a very high empathy card. I have a lot of self-awareness, so I know where I'm strong and where I need support around me. I know what I love and I know what I don't love. I try to spend most of my time doing things that I like and I'm good at. That's human nature and not do as much of the stuff that I'm not so good at. Um, I think it's really important to be real and bring you. And I've used this example a lot of times, but I you know, I worked at Disney for many, many years in Los Angeles and um, in a very corporate environment with a lot of men, um, women too, but a lot of men. And um, I'm a Southern girl, and I never left behind the fact that I'm a Southern girl because it's part of who I am. So rather than trying to fit in or mold myself to be what was around me, I brought me. And so I think it's important that you bring your whole self because if we really want balanced perspective and um, a well-rounded point of view when we're setting strategy and making decisions, we need mm. a lot of different perspectives and we need people to bring their ideas and be open about their thoughts and be sure they're sharing. So one of the things I do as a leader, I'm very conscious, especially as a woman, and now I think things are a lot different and people are much more conscious about uh, making sure that we have good representation um, and diverse groups in any kind of conversation. But w when I was starting out, it wasn't quite so top of mind. Um, but I think it's really important to be sure that the person who might have a great idea but's a little quieter or has a little softer-spoken personality, that that person's voice is heard. and that we're So I'm, I'm very aware of who's in the room and being sure that we're including a variety of perspectives. And I say to people, look, if we're all in this conversation but only one of us has an opinion, the rest of you don't need to be here. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a conversation, you're invited to a meeting, you're invited to participate in a strategy conversation or be part of making a decision, be sure you're part of it and bring all of your experience. You know, I also say, I see the world through the lens of the mom of two daughters. I can't remove that lens because that's part of how I see the world. So my views on things, I'm sure, are partially influenced by the fact that I'm the mom of two young women. So that's part of my view. And okay. I, I don't try to pretend it's not. That mom yeah. card plays very heavily into how I see the world. Um, I'm a Tennessee girl. I, you know, I lean to certain things because of what I learned here and because of where I grew up. And I, I lean into that instead of trying to um, 
sort of homogenize that. I don't, I'm not interested so much in putting people on my team who are um, blank canvases. I want all your stuff, including the stuff that's a little bit different and a little bit um, maybe awkward or, you know, whatever. That's what makes it all interesting and great. So I, I think it's really important to be you, bring your whole self. Don't leave parts behind because the whole you is important and how you got to be where you are is a sum of all those experiences. And then um, I, I think it's more authentic and more genuine. Um, Bob Iger famously says, and I quote him all the time, the CEO of Disney, um, lead so people choose to follow. Hmm. You, I can require you to do something because you report to me, but I don't want to do that. Right. I want you to go with me because you believe in me and because you believe in where we're going as a team. So lead so people choose to follow is something I think about a lot. I think that's an amazing approach, definitely a great way to approach leadership. And so similarly, you've cited yourself as driving high standards in a culture of collaboration, inclusion, energy, and optimism. Yeah. So why is creating this type of culture very important to you, and what makes it vital in a workplace's culture? Yeah, I mean, I've said a lot of those words, I'm sure, throughout this whole conversation, but optimism, I think, is a great tool. It's something we all have if we choose to use it. Things are not perfect. Things are not always great. But having an optimistic view, making the best of a bad situation, doing the best we can regardless of the circumstances, I think is a healthier and happier way to be. And listen, you spend a lot of time working. And if you're going to be successful, you need to be happy and feel good while you're at work and feel like the people that you're working with, that you're all on the same team, that you have shared values, that you're really working together, not just physically existing together, but that we're actually in this thing together and knowing that we have each other's back and, hey, sometimes we're going to be doing great and we're going to be really celebrating and high-fiving and other times we're going to be, man, how are we ever going to get out of this jam? But we'll get out of it and we'll find our way forward one thing at a time. So I do really believe in collaboration and optimism and that spirit of togetherness. I also have very high standards personally and professionally. Um, for myself and for the people around me. So where I'm really open to all kinds of, I operate well in gray. We don't know exactly what it's gonna look like, but it feels like this seems right, let's try this. I'm great with, but when it comes to integrity and values, I have absolutely no gray. So I don't compromise on integrity or um, company values, personal values ever. And I don't allow it to happen around me. So, you know, this has been interesting as I, it, in my career, I've been through the beginnings of the Me Too movement and now things that are, um, you know, all the things that we expect in society now that we maybe didn't when I started out my career. It's changed a lot. But um, I, I'm very rigid about integrity and honesty, and no matter what has happened, let's be truthful about it and let's do the right thing, even if it's difficult. And it just always gets you in a better place. Hmm, um, definitely. <laughs> but aside from that, you know, I, I'm pretty loose about, like, you know, there's not just one right way to do things. Yeah. There's not just one right answer or one right business solution. There are a lot of things to explore here as long as we're aligned with the values and the mm. um, standards that we all know. Right, coming back to that same right, ground. Yeah. Right. So my last question on your leadership is, so during meetings or like other situations where strategic decisions are being made, how do you keep your team motivated and make sure that all voices are heard? 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about that a little bit earlier. I, I come from an all-girls background. I have sisters and no brothers, daughters and no sons. I went to an all-girls school all my life until I came to school here in Knoxville um, to college. And so I, I was surrounded in a very girls' girl world, and then I went out to work and found out that the world's not really actually full of just girls. Um, and so I quickly learned to navigate in a world full of men, who I love, by the way. But it's, um, it is different and people are different not just men and women but but people's personalities are just different and some people are more comfortable speaking up and sometimes the quietest person in the room has the answer but they're not comfortable speaking up or the rest of the group is so dominant that they don't find an opportunity so i i really try to be aware of all of the people in the conversation and make sure that the environment is comfortable for everyone who's there and whether that's a diversity situation, making sure that everybody feels included and valued, or whether it's just a personality thing where you need to draw out the quieter ones and encourage the people who have some skills that maybe they're shy to share, that they're you know, more open to do that. But a lot of it is just, again, back to relationship and really knowing the people. And um, it's, a, it's a human, it's a personality human connection that helps me know how to help people feel comfortable in, right. a, in a situation that they may not otherwise be comfortable in. And so I'm very, but it's something that I, I practiced and I'm, I'm yeah. very, it's not a subconscious thing. I'm very conscious of reading the room and, yes. you know, which brings me to another thing that you should all know about is situational leadership because you can't, you have one dominant style. It's what comes naturally to you. It's what works for you. It's what true to you, but you do have to modify how you approach things based on the situation, based on the audience, based on, you know, all kinds of things. Um, so I, I do help people understand situational leadership, and I practice it myself every day. Yeah, that's amazing, and I really liked how you touched on empathizing as a major underscore. Yeah, it's like, one of my superpowers yeah. is empathy. <laughs> empathy. Yeah, just sort of understanding or attempting to understand how another person feels and how they might view things that's something different than how you might view it. Yeah, I really admire that. I think it's a great way to lead. So that concludes the main body of questions. And then the last four questions of the interview are our Haslam series questions that we like to ask every guest at the end of the episode. And they're more of a rapid fire style. Sure. So the first question is, what's something you know now that you wish you knew when you were 20? Oh, there's so many things. But I think we already touched on this. I think that, well, if not the biggest thing, one of the big things is you don't have to have a perfect plan and you don't have to be perfect, period. Um, I think another thing, which is also really important, and again, I remind myself of this, but it, it has now become um, natural to me. I don't have to think about it as much anymore. It's not important how much you do or, or even what you do. It's making a difference. So as you move forward, I mean, y'all are in school with a million commitments and a million assignments and deadlines and, you know, more than you ever feel like you can manage. And so you're used to juggling a lot of priorities and a lot of deadlines. It doesn't change when you get out in the real world. You have work commitments, you have personal commitments, family commitments, whatever they are, advanced. If you go back to school, you know, you have still school commitments and work commitments. But all these things, um, we tend to measure how much we're doing, and I think it's quality, not quantity. There are times you have to do quantity because it has to be done. But the best impact you can make is working with purpose. Work where there's a return. 
put your best energy and your best efforts against things that matter and try to make a difference. And I, I, every day I tell people, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference for the people I work with. I want to make a difference for my company's bottom line. I want to make a difference to the community that I work in. I want to make a difference to my family. But So I think understanding that quantity and quality of work are different. And there are times we have to crunch out a lot of stuff. But most of the time, our biggest impact is thinking about making those choices. You'll always have more to do than you can possibly do. So make good choices, work with purpose, make a difference. Absolutely. So the next question is, what's a resource? It could be a book, an article, or even a habit that you found to be particularly useful. Yeah, I mean, this is so corny, but I mentioned it earlier. I think um, Walt Disney, I mean, the whole Disney experience for me, besides the fact that I worked with and for remarkable leaders and people that I could learn so much from, the magic of Disney and the standards and the brand and the storytelling and all those things that apply in so many ways to so many other businesses because they're just the best at so many things. And I am a storyteller, and I think that's part, it's sort of tied to empathy and relating to people and, you know, connecting with people about things that just the stories of their lives. And um, so there, you know, there's a million famous Walt Disney quotes, and I still have a little book of his quotes on my desk even today. Um, but if you can dream it, you can do it. I mean, there are a lot of them, you know. And remember, it all started with a mouse. So when we think about these huge things, you know, Walt would say, Remember, this all started with a mouse, so it's really just one step at a time. So there are a lot of a lot of things that I learned there, but I would say Disney has been pivotal in many, many ways in how I think about um, my work and my life today. Excellent, definitely. So fitting with the theme of the podcast, what inspires you? Oh, I'm inspired by a lot of things. Young people, for sure. My own children are my biggest inspiration. They are, as I mentioned, college and graduate school girls, and I'm... I'm inspired by them because I think of all the jobs I've had in the world. The most important job I have is mom, and so far it looks like I've done a decent job. <laughs> they're, they're pretty amazing, amazing young women, but, but I really do. I enjoy the work I do with Haslam because I love being around young people. The energy, the optimism, the fact that all of you believe that the world is your oyster and there's no obstacle, and again, if you can dream it, you can do it, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, if you hang out with people who are a little bit past that age they might start to be more pessimistic or they've had a few you know unsuccessful things and not as optimistic and so I'm very inspired by young people and especially my own children who are just like sunshine looking back at me every day and I know everything I've invested in being the best mom I can possibly be for them I'm looking at these accomplished kind thoughtful Mm -hmm. young women who are going to do great things in this world so that that's the big inspiration is you talk about a return there it is. That's great. That's so, so meaningful. Yeah. And the last question is, what's next? I have no idea. I told you I never <laughs> have a plan. Um, but, I mean, a, a practical answer to that is that I've been at Fanatics a little over two years. We're growing so fast. There's so much more to do. So I imagine myself being there for quite a while longer. I really love it. I enjoy the work. I'm excited about what they're doing. It's all the things that we talked about earlier, things nobody's ever done before. You never know what's coming next. Um, it's in an industry that I love, so it's sort of a combination of retail and consumer and brand and then sports. I'm also a huge sports fan, so that all plays right into my power alley and things that I'm passionate about. So I, I think it's helpful to work where you have passion and spend a lot of Definitely. time and energy on things that you're actually interested in. 
Um, so I imagine being there for quite a while longer. Um, I'd love to do more. I, I tell people that my retirement plan is beach and teach. We, <laughs> we live in Florida in a little beach town most of the time, and um, I spend time here. I've also spent some time at SMU where my children were in undergrad, and um, I, I really would like to do more with, especially with UT, um, and spend more time with students and do more for Haslam and the university in general because I, I think there's huge payback, and I actually get more from it than the, the students that I spend time with, so it's it's more rewarding for me than it is for you, but if it's helpful for you, I'm <laughs> delighted by that too. So I think probably... Uh, you know, more years at Fanatics, more time with college kids, and after that, I don't know. Hmm. Making a difference, whatever <laughs> that looks like today. Absolutely. Well, we definitely appreciate it and really look forward to seeing all your success to come. So that will round out our 18th episode of Project Inspire. Miss Adams, it has been an absolute honor talking with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been great fun to be with you. I'm happy to join you anytime. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Project Inspire. If you enjoyed our episode, consider giving us a five-star rating, leaving a review, or following us. We're available on all streaming platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to check out some of our other episodes while you're here.